Hello and welcome to In Star Trek We Trust, a Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Julia, and this week I will be discussing Star Trek Picard, Season 3, Episode 1, The Next Generation. You don't mind if we participate in this conversation, do you? Well, actually, I have been watching a lot of Star Trek, so I think I'm pretty qualified to discuss it by myself. Although, I'm a very kind person, so I think I can let you guys in. Oh. That's so generous. It's so generous of letting us onto our own show. So, yes, I guess I am also one of your hosts, Kevin. I am two of your hosts, Ethan. And as you can tell, we are joined by a new in Star Trek, we trustee. That's good. A tr- that's we should. That's that we should call that. Those are our host names. Trustees. We are trustees. The trustees. Yes. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. So, you all know and love me, and you all know and like Kevin. So, Julia, who are you? And how did I'm you get Julia. Here? Hi. So, how did I get here with my own two feet, mm-hmm. and um, by sitting on a couch? Or a few months and watching as much as Star Trek as I could stomach, all in a row. Mm-hmm. And this is still this is ongoing. Still, you're not done yet, as far as I. But I, I, I say, am not done. Yeah. I'm almost done with Voyager. As a witness, it has been truly heroic to see Julia watch all of Next Generation, all of Deep Space Nine, and now all but the last season of Voyager in. A month and a half? That's... I've never actually... You know, like, I hate binge-watching, but I've never actually seen or heard of anybody just binge-watching all of Trek like that. You know, usually a Trek series, sure, but to, like, actually go through all of it like that. I mean, that's... You're talking over 800 episodes. Truly heard. Yeah, and you you haven't done the films yet, right? I've done... um uh, first contact, mm. and we tried to watch. Um, what is Generations. it? Generations. Generations. You uh, haven't watched the original series yet, so it was a little. It didn't really grab you. Yeah, I, I have a harder time with older series, so I'm I'm holding the original series for last. Mm-hmm. Uh, I must say, I've not watched. I haven't watched. Um, Discovery past season one. I just experienced it through the eyes of Ethan and yep. uh, by listening to your podcast. Oh, sorry, my podcast now. Well, any, you know, you mentioned Discovery, you know, so I will not say, I, when somebody is first getting into a series, I abstain from sort of saying anything either too positive or too negative. I try to stay middle, middle road because I don't want to potentially taint your viewing experience somebody did that with me when i was getting into the battlestar galactica reboot many people will say if you're starting next generation skip the first season or skip these episodes but you went straight through starting at episode one and just going yeah it was really hard sitting through episode one like it was like watching a surrealist movie yeah Yeah. it it was your opening weird Um, but definitely like, sure. I agree with everybody that says like season three onwards is, is all golden. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I mean, there are a few episodes, I must say, that are a bit... The thing uh, about Next Gen is that as the seasons go, I mean, it gets better with every season. Yeah, yeah. apart that one, se- that one episode with the masks. Masks? And, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, the cult of oh, so whatever. <laughs> so really quick, when you're watching Next Gen, you know, the first season specifically, the... There's an episode in that season that is often regarded as the worst episode in all of the franchise, which is called Code of Honor. Oh, that is episode. The, the African gentleman yes. no, from another planet. Yeah. Oh, wait, that's yeah. A, What's yeah, that was bad luck. I think it's it the only really, episode I've only seen one time. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's so bad. It's like a car accident. Mm-hmm. You can't look away. And it's just like surreal. It's right. like a satire of someone doing a... Yeah, it's like somebody job. doing a, a, a original series parody. Right, like if they made that in the 60s, it still would have right. been like not well, okay. I have often said that if you watch the first... <laughs> if you watch the original series and then you watch the first season of The Next Generation, it's even though it's made... A lot of the same people who made the original series are still attached to it. So it still has this kind of, it still has this original series vibe, which of course by then is extremely outdated. And, just you know, just the types of stories they do, the, the way certain characters behave, it's just a very, it has a very original series. I've often said like, it's almost like a sort of season four of the original series kind of thing. Where like, maybe if that was season was made Maybe if that had been the fourth season of the original series at the time, maybe it would have been okay. But yeah. Well, now we get to have the final episode of the next, I mean, final season of the next generation. Well, and speaking of the next yeah. generation. Yes. So obviously we are here today to discuss the season premiere of the final season. So they say of Star Trek Picard, which is the, episode titled the next generation i think this is even more of a confirmation that not that i want to belabor this point but they are doing what they said they weren't going to do which is make another season of the next generation this is what when picard started Mm -hmm. there were all much of the hoopla was saying how this is not going to be another season of next generation this is a very different thing and now it is going to be another season of next generation yeah so I mean, fine. I look. It's if that's what they're going to do, that's what they're going to do. I just you and I, yeah, you and I were talking about how that's not the show that was originally pitched to us a couple of years ago. But um, it sounds to me like they just got afraid of their own premise and just ran and decided to go back with something safe. So, but in any event, so this episode is directed by Doug Aaron. Niakoski. Hope I'm saying that right. Among his credits, he's directed episodes. Uh, he's been an executive producer on Picard. He's directed some episodes of. He's directed an ep- episodes of Picard. He's directed episodes of Short Trek. He's even directed some episodes of Discovery, among other shows. SWAT, Criminal Minds, Blue Bloods. I'm not going to go through his entire filmography here. And it was written by the showrunner Terry Metalis. Now Terry Metalis is no stranger to the Star Trek universe. Um, he has co-wrote episodes, the, the episodes Stargazer, which was the first episode of last season, and the one that followed it, Penance, 
And But some of his credits go as far back to season three of Enterprise. He co-wrote the episode Impulse, the episode Stratagem. And he's okay. worked as a story editor on TV series such as Nikita, 12 Monkeys, MacGyver, Terra Nova, a show I used to like, Threshold, which starred Brent Spiner and was created by Star Trek writer alum Brennan Braga. And he was also a story editor on, a production assistant, I believe, on Voyager. So... Uh, he has some association with um, Trek, and he even appeared as an actor in the final episode of Enterprise, too. Okay, so, he's been around. Huh? Yeah. So, he started out as a uh, fresh-faced young boy in the Star Trek franchise, and now he's running the series. So Yeah, impressive. All right, well, how did he do? So, well, hmm. he's not Ronald D. Moore. He's certainly not Ronald D. Moore. No, he also started a fresh face and aged with Star Trek. So. Very true. Uh, I would kill yeah. to have Ronald Nimoy back on the, in the franchise. Yes. So Ronald Nimoy was smart enough, I think, to, to get outside of Star Trek to take his own show into, you know, but he, he could do is, more. Um, you know, he created the show for All Mankind, which, not to do a promo for it, but I'm going to do a promo for it. It's on Apple T- TV+. Plus. It's a fantastic show. Highly recommend. And of course, he's um, what's it called? Outlander, Highlander, Outlander. <laughs> so, how am I feeling about this episode? I, I, so let me just let me stop for a second because I just want to point. I just want to make this clear to people listening. So, in the past, you know, we've when we reviewed these episodes, we knew that they were always just one episode in a long story arc, and I think that. I have sort of let frustrations come out with each episode because it never felt like it was progressing the arc as much as I felt like it should have been or like we weren't getting a lot of answers. So I have a lot that I want to say, but I'm going to kind of abstain abstain from doing that because I know it's just part one of ten. I think that they did drop the bomb with Crasher has a secret song. Mm Mm-hmm. That was a fair amount of bombing. Right. I, yeah. Well, she had cut off contact with them for 20 years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's plenty of time to have a hunky young son. Well, Crusher is the kind of the one sort of setting these events in motion, right? So the episode opens with Crusher out in space on this ship. And she's being, her ship is under attack by some unknown assailants. And she's using her pump action phaser rifle to to defend them, which, as I'm under, I understand, Julie. You, he told me you have a you have a very interesting observation about this pump action phaser rifle. Yes, yeah. this is such a bad design flaw. Who made who made a weapon that announces out loud you're out of ammo? Everybody, everybody here, yeah. I, yeah, so your enemy knows exactly the moment you're out of ammo when you have to reload so that they can run at you and, and kill you. Right. And how do you do that on a show? You They fire and nothing happens. That's how you know they're out of ammo. Yeah, so I, I, I got to think one of two things happened. One was someone wrote that and no one said, hey, that doesn't make sense. And two, Or two, Someone was watching the show with that for editing or whatever. Said, "I don't think people are going to understand that that's out, so we have to make it yeah. say it's out." So either way, I don't think that those are great decisions. It, it, but that's a small. It reminds me yeah. of 
a scene from Back to the Future Part Two. So when they're in the we're in the we're in the, when they're in the then future in 2015, there's Marty falls into the uh, it's after like Biff and all of them are chasing him in that hoverboard chase, and he falls into the uh, into the lake, and he's all soaking and he's soaking wet. And when he takes his and when like his jacket's soaking wet and it has an automatic dry, and there's this voice that says he presses a button, it's drying his jacket, and this voice says your jacket is now dry. Like it's just like it's like this, it's like this corny futuristic thing that just feels like everything has to be announced that you're everything being done just makes it more futuristic yeah your door you know your door is ajar your jacket is now dry your weapon is out of ammo <laughs> it's uh, i think some someone in the writing room is watching too much the jets and yeah it's like it's like what they thought the future would be if it was made like in the 1950s or 60s, like it would, everything would just have some automatic robotic voice to it. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. But I, I really like that you brought up the feeling of talking about the episodes, um, not getting frustrated because I do want to talk about it for a second because I think yeah. it explains very well why we are only doing the first episode, the sixth episode, and the last episode. Right. Because the thing that I think we've realized from Discovery and Picard. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Is that the way they're written, and this seems to be playing out here, is they give us a mystery, but they don't give us any clues to think about or any way to predict it. The information is just withheld from us and then revealed at a point. So talking about it week after week is very frustrating because there's not much to say because you can speculate. There's nothing nothing in the episode that's particularly, in particular, that prevents us from getting this information it's just the episode does not the episode almost goes out of these episodes almost go out of their way to not tell us anything yes they're simply withholding information rather than planting seeds or building a mystery and we've made those observations about discovery as well like they just they 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 think that making it a mystery is just withholding the information yes so rather than be frustrated each week we're gonna do the beginning and the end i mean on a basic level, all that two thing there are two storylines going on at once in this episode, and again they're very light at the moment. So it begins with Beverly Crusher sending a distress call to Picard, who then he recruits Will Riker, and they have to try to get out there and find where she is. They locate her coordinates, and they have to try to go out there and fi- get to her. While simultaneously, there's a plot going on with Raffi, who's trying to uncover information on wh- why and how and who stole some experimental technology from the Daystrom Institute that could potentially be used as a weapon. So these are happening at the same time. It's not obvious. It's not clear in this episode whether these two storylines will converge. I'm sure they will. How they will converge. So it's it's sort of going back and forth between both storylines at the moment. And like I said, it didn't feel... Certainly, we get some progress. And we see some stuff go on, but it just really ends in a very, you know, mysterious fashion. So uh, we're just, we're, we're still just in the setting up phase of this whole thing. So, you know, I, to me, there's not enough meat on that bone to really speculate uh, on the greater, yeah. on the great, on the greatest story arc of the season. No, it's clear that there will be a connection between Rafi's story and right. Picard, right. Uh, Riker, Crusher's story, but we was no no seeds have been planted to let us know what what that could be. No, I, I, think, I found the most entertaining part of the episode really was watching Picard and Riker right together. I guess that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. 
um, palling around. <laughs> well, and I think where we end up in this is, I think the biggest mystery is the one that Julia mentioned is the phaser no, rifle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want that to be answered by episode Why? 10. That's clearly <laughs> the storyline for the season. No, it's, it's the reveal at the end that Crusher has another son. So it's established in the episode. Well, Wesley that, has a brother, however you want to phrase it. I mean, it's established in the episode that I would actually think it's two mysteries, right? But they kind of, they're related. So why did Beverly cut off the the rest of the crew for two decades? And how did she get another son? There's speculation that maybe... Picard told her to have an abortion. She didn't want to. Well, I mean, and there's speculation like who's obviously, who's the kid's dad. People seem to think it's Picard. I saw someone point to the fact that like, is Beverly's absence in season two the reason why this happened? Like, did she go away and get pregnant? And then, okay, maybe. But then, what about seasons four through seven? Where was the kid the whole time? Right, exactly. So, I don't know. The kid looks about 20 to me. My theory is very schlock, but I think I'm right. So, you know how they pointed out that there is a briefcase, a space briefcase Mm -hmm. of... Um, the husband. Yep. What's his name? Jack. Jack. So she cloned him and raised him. I've heard that too. As her son. I've heard that too. Like I, I swear. See that? That would definitely make her feeling. That would make her cut off because she probably thought that maybe they wouldn't approve or something. Right. Right. Well, I, I thought that too. And somebody on the Trek BBS actually posted a screenshot of what Jack Crusher looked like because we do see him in the episode Family, what her late husband looks like, and then this new actor. And they do kind of look similar. Um, you don't think it's a ghost? It's a, she had intercourse with the ghost? I mean, that would have been Scottish. He's British. I don't believe that the accents are passed through the DNA. The thing is, I do. And this would be have to be something the show would answer, like what a show would have to answer, of course. But I mean, if she did clone him, okay, but why? Like to what end? You know, like I'm not saying it's not possible. It's certainly possible, but it's like for what? Like she was alone. She was what? Wesley was off traipsing across the uh, universe. Yeah. I mean, I've got to say though. Now I. This episode, the thing about this episode, just the overall feeling of the episode is, you know, they want it to be like the fifth next generation film. And I certainly get that vibe about it, right? The structure of the episode is different. Okay, they they got rid of the opening. They moved the opening to the end of the episode, the uh, opening titles. You know, it begins with in the 25th century in the same font and everything like in the Wrath of Khan where it says in the 23rd century. It says mm. chapter one, the next generation, right? So the and the action is very much like the next generation movies, not right. like the. My point is that the episode is really evoking and lifting a lot from the movies, particularly Star Trek Two, Star Trek Three, um, and I would say maybe First Contact. Now, I noticed that after watching it the first time at that reveal at the end where it's revealed that this is her son. It sort of reminded me, now it didn't go down the exact same way, 
But it sort of reminded me when David Marcus was introduced to Kirk in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, when Kirk finds out that he has a son. <clears throat> hmm. Right. Now, I'm not going to say this means that it's he's Picard's son, but the the reveal and sort of it, it, it reminded me of that. It felt like it was kind of lifted. The idea was sort of lifted from that in a very similar way. Also, I will mm. point out that when they board the Titan and they see LaForge's daughter, Sylvia LaForge, who is the navigator, that's like at the opening in Generations when the when Kirk is on board the Enterprise B for the launch and the navigator is Demora Sulu, Sulu's daughter. Mm. So you know, they're lifting a lot of things from the film from the films and revealing them in very similar ways. So does it mean anything? I don't know. They could just be member berries, the term that we all like to say these days. But and we know what a big fan Terry Metallus is and so and just given the world of member berries that we live in, it could mean nothing, it could mean something. I'm not gonna, you know, kind of place my bets on that acting as a blueprint. For something that's going to be that's going to be absolutely positively revealed later on, you know. So right, it, but it is interesting to think. Yeah, the fact that he, it was revealed as her son at the end does make it seem very dramatic. And could it be we're being pursued for something related to him, or how she got him, or created him? That could be possible. Based on the trailers, though, for the season, I mean, it's certainly this dialogue that says we are being hunted. Now, is the we Beverly? Or does it mean we, as in the next generation crew? So, like, there's clearly somebody being hunted. So, um, right. So, could it be someone that the next generation crew had wronged? Right. And so, why would they start with Beverly? Yeah. So, right. they, hmm, that would be very interesting because, okay, this is a real long shot. Hmm. The opening song, <laughs> the opening song was in the Watchmen series. Yep. Now. Now, the series is not the movie or the comic, but in the Watchmen comic, you have a team, the Watchmen, and they're each being killed They're each being killed off one by one. So that would be interesting if that's what's happening here. Hmm. Okay. Although if we go those by the Watchmen model, it would be one of the crew that would be the murderer. Yeah. Which I don't expect that they'll do. It's a long shot. The murderer is um, Barclay. Oh my god, can you imagine? <laughs> that one's original Barclay. It's like Barclay's killing them all one by one and he's avenging himself <laughs> for back then when they made fun of him. And yeah, inferior. You know, I gotta point out though, it was such a pleasure to watch Patrick Stewart and Jonathan Frakes have scenes together on this episode. And what I really enjoyed was when you watch The Next Generation, when you watch the films, right? I know this is the reason why they have the set 10 forward to have the crew sort of like let their hair down and just relax. But you never really have any scenes between Picard and Riker as just friends. It's always he's the captain. He's the first officer. It's always it's always all business. So I'm watching these two share their scenes together and I truly felt like I was just watching Patrick Stewart and Jonathan Frakes having a drink. It didn't feel like Picard and Riker together. It felt like that line between the actors and the characters to me was completely 
gone. Because you know, like, I know, like, how close, how tightly knit that cast is, and they're all really good friends. And that's what I felt like I was watching. I just felt like I was watching two good friends enjoying their time together. You know, and, and it felt a little bit awkward in a lot of ways, too, because I kind of, I wanted it to be the Picard and Riker dynamic. But they're not mm-hmm. really in a command structure together at the moment. So it was just two friends getting together. Right. It was interesting that um, when they were on board the Titan, uh, Riker called him captain, and Picard sort of said, oh, you know, kind of like, oh, I'm an admiral. He said, oh, sorry, old habits die hard. But then I swear, within 20 seconds, he call, uh, Picard called Riker number one. Right, when they, when they got to the Beverly ship. Number, he said number, number one. That, number number one, yeah. And you know what's funny? So it's, you know, he did the same thing. You say old habits, right? I didn't even make that sort of mental correction. Like, what, what are you calling him that for? Like, I totally, I, I forgot myself because I was yeah, so used to him calling him that. He's not Admiral. Right. As um, certainly the captain of the Titan pointed out so well, he's <laughs> retired Admiral's hardly worth anything. So the idea is that once Picard gets this distress call from Beverly, he's got to get out. They, they figure out what the coordinates are and they've got to go out and find her. Now, I don't like to nitpick, but I'm going to nitpick on one thing, just one minor thing. When they're talking about trying to figure out the coordinates to get there, she gives him that secret code, which was, I think it was Firebird, something like that. Hellfire? Hellfire was what it was called. And Riker determines, because the coordinates that he was in, Picard was initially given... It's like there's nothing out there. So using this secret code, they figure out that, no, the coordinates are actually over here because they establish that during the two-part episode, The Best of Both Worlds, the Enterprise was infected with a virus by the Borg that was adding three, the number three, to all these different things, and it messed up the navigation system. Now, that did not happen in that episode. That was not a plot point. That was not an issue in that episode at all. And for some reason, that was really irritating me. I know, it's not a big deal, but it was really getting to me. Because it's just like, that's that didn't happen. Like, I think it's because you we could have... so minor that it, they didn't even rise to be in the episode. It's, well, it's like, and I think to myself, you could have justified that in any, in any other way. Okay? But are we so wrapped up in these member berries that you have to somehow tie it in to something that we all... To some event that we all remember? So it's like, but it wasn't because, yeah, it was funny when he told it too. I, I was, since Julia had watched it more recently than I, I asked her, was that something that happened in an episode? No. No, it's like, it's like imagine learning that when they were taking out the Death Star and they fired those charges into the Death Star event. What if a new Star Wars series tried to establish that, like, oh, but there was actually somebody in there who had to, like, open up the vent and let those things in. Otherwise, you know, like imagine if they had changed that somehow. And well, that like, was Rogue One. <laughs> what? Rogue One, he built it there so that they could shoot it. And so it's like, it's, it's like, it's rewriting. It's, it's sort of like, it's not really, it, it's not really a retcon, but it kind of feels like a retcon in some ways. I just, I don't see why that's, is it just because you wanted to throw in some reference to the best of both worlds and, and that be it? I mean, I would say that they kind of a bit are. Yeah. I mean, it certainly doesn't affect my 
viewing of the best of both worlds. I just think that, you know, I know you guys love the next generation, Terry, and I know your team, like I get it, but not everything has to have some connection to an existing event. You can, it's okay to come up with something new. You could have come up with any other way to do that. So I just, I don't like when those kinds of things are done that those things really annoy me. I see. Yeah. It is interesting how much of the episode was, and it brings this this point up. I mean, it connects to that point. Much of the episode was very inconsequential. It was. Because it was like, we got to figure out what the numbers are, so we got to go through a few steps to do that. That's 15 minutes or so. It was just a lot of um, solving these little obstacles that were put in front of them. Right. Like, how come she couldn't just give them the actual coordinates? Like, what was what's wrong with that? Why did it have to be? Why did that have like to be a tiny mystery box? If it were, yeah, you would say because you, you could say, well, maybe if they were intercepted, but they already knew where they were because they were attacked. Right. So what's hiding? Oh, so Starfleet, because so Starfleet couldn't intercept it. Probably. Hmm. I don't know. Um, yeah. What do you think of this um, idea that this could be another one of our Starfleet is corrupt situations? I want the weird aliens that settle in people's bellies back because they really gave me those vibes. Oh, conspiracy. Yeah. yeah, the episode conspiracy. Because they had the same the same setup in many ways. And the yeah. sun said um, yeah. they looked different every time we saw them. It's funny you mentioned that, Julia, because I was reading something about, like, there was one review I was reading on this episode. And this actual reviewer saw the first six episodes. Because many people have seen the first six already. And it was a negative review. But they said, if you want to get a sense of what this season is like, just watch. Just watch. And they listed out a bunch of episodes. And one of the episodes they listed was Conspiracy. Because they were trying to justify it by saying, like, oh, it's nothing new. It's like watching. It's like a mixture of all these episodes, including Conspiracy. So, and again, given what a fan of Next Gen Terry Metalis is, it's like things like that, in my opinion, like nothing is off the table. It would not surprise me at all that it would be somehow connected to to that in some ways. Because and I don't I don't think there would be anything I wouldn't mind that, honestly. Well, you also have to remember I mean, that that episode Conspiracy and originally it ended on a mystery and they had every intention of coming back to it. But they never did. So, so now they are. So it kind Maybe. of is like this lost story arc out there somewhere that they never came back to. So it does seem like something this season would seek to do. You right. know, I mean, oh, they're calling it like, oh, we're ending it in the way that it should have for a lot of this. So there's and also I like, I mean, if you think about like the series itself, I mean, Strange New Worlds, the entire series is a what could have been and now it's going to be. So it would not surprise me if Picard wanted to take the opportunity to pick up on a not followed up story thread and make that the centerpiece of its season. Um, that would be fine by me. It, it actually, you know what? It, it, the inclusion of lore would also seem like another opportunity to do that. Hmm. Lore's never been dealt with. No. And so maybe this is, we're going to wrap up all the loose strings. It could I be mean, because we know that we're going to get Professor Moriarty as well. He's going to be there somewhere. Do so we really need to is the show taking to wrap up? Wait a second, though. Wasn't Lord destroyed when he became the leader of that unit, the Borg unit? 
No. Um, he was that was the last time we saw him. But okay, like I have Data like, that he was crushed and Data, that's how Data got the chip. Data deactivated him. I don't think there was anything mentioned of what became of him like in Picard's closing log entry, but like he didn't Data, Data just shut him down. And it ends with him saying, I love you, brother, and then that's it. Um off the top of my head, I don't again I don't recall what they say becomes of him. I don't know if they even say that. But that was the last time that we saw him. So he was always kind of Yeah, I think discussing this, some of this makes sense. It seems like they're picking up on some story threads that never really got proper resolution. I mean, I don't know that Professor Moriarty got proper resolution. Let's put it this way. Because Professor Moriarty comes back in the episode Ship in a Bottle. But that didn't end with a kind of like me wondering, whoa, what's going to happen now? I mean, it seemed to have a sort of conclusion to it. So... I'll be impressed if they're able to take some of these kind of unresolved stories and sort of weave them all together somehow. And just given, like I said, the no- total number of member berries that are in this show thus far, it's like it. It to me, it makes total sense. And I and not, I would not be surprised if this is what they decide to do. But I'm not saying if they do for well, these. If they do well and it's a cohesive story, that'd be pretty impressive. Sure, me same. But it's just, I guess what I'm saying is like, these are not story threads I was, I'm like longing for conclusions to, you know? I mean, not every story has to have some proper conclusion. Very true. So. Um, uh, in, in general, I believe it is in line with the trend of mm-hmm. getting stuff, like in general in TV, how uh, stuff has been fished out of the past and how writers are expanding on existing stories rather yep. than coming up with original stories mm-hmm. uh You're which right. is that's, mm-hmm. that's what has been happening but it's I like says, i know what nostalgia is yes <laughs> but here's the thing i would have actually not put it past lower decks to conclude some of these stories and do it in a very comical way that's true that's true you know, I would almost find it more acceptable that Lower Decks did it than Next Gen. Now, we don't even know if this is going to be the case, but I think the more we talk about it like this and the things we've seen in the trailers and, you know, given what Julia said, it's the trend. It seems to make sense that that's what they could do. And like I said, it would not surprise me if that's ultimately what it what it becomes. Hmm. It, it, yes. I have a question for everybody, I guess. First. What do you think about the Captain of the Titan? Now, I will say that I really enjoyed the Captain of the Titan. I did too. One, because I enjoyed seeing... I think I've heard mostly from Lower Decks that there are different types of captains. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, probably Boimler would be a captain like this guy where it's like he just wants to do everything by the regulations. I don't think yeah. he'd be a much jerk to people. Mm-hmm. He would be far struck, too. But, you know, there are captains that probably see Picard as just like a loose cannon maniac. Right. Who was getting into all these misadventures and probably causing more problems than he was solving. Imagine Mariner being his being on his crew. Oh, that, it would be, I'm yeah, sure Mariner terrible. even knows him, right? Mariner would have as bad a time as Seven was having. I, I have a 
theory about this about this boy. Um, okay. So, not a very strong one. Actually, not a theory really, but more of a question, I guess. Now he's making seven because seven of nine is his first officer, and he's making her go by her actual name. Then he makes reference to Picard and her as like ex Borg, right? Yeah. I'm wondering if ex Borg or something. So he's got a problem with Borg. And simultaneously, we've gotten we get a reference to Best of Both Worlds in dialogue from Picard and Riker, and then also I should mention before we even see Beverly at the beginning of the episode, for some reason. I don't know if it's a reason that'll be explained. She's listening to Picard's log entry from that episode, right? And this show always wants to go back to that episode anyway. They always talk about this episode in like every season. Hmm. Is he, does he have some, I don't know if like the time, I don't know like how old he is, but is it possible he could have been, I don't know, a lower decker or something during the time of Wolf 359, when the Borg attacked in the best of both worlds. Like, is it, does he have some kind of... I think it's clear he has some sort of resentment toward the Borg. What that is, what the origin of it, I don't know. I, I just kept wondering, is there some Wolf Battle of Wolf 359 um, connection there? Was he a kid on the Saratoga, say, when Cisco got out of there during that battle? Or Wolf something? Right. Is there some Is there some tie-in to that? Like, because... It it reminds me of Cisco. Remember, if you remember in the first episode of Deep Space Nine, Cisco is is very rude, at least in the beginning, to Picard because in his eyes, Picard is the one who murdered his wife at Wolf Three Five Nine, despite the fact that Picard has no had no control over it. I'm getting a similar kind of vibe here with that, so I don't know. You know, uh, despite this being a very likely background. Mm-hmm. Uh, because especially given how Starfleet is nepotistic in a way, like how most of them have a parent that was in Starfleet mm. and such. Yeah, we saw the so, Forge's daughter. Yes, yes, so that's very likely. Although, I must say, you know how the whole crew just went ballistic as soon as Seven said, let's do something that our captain would never allow. And everybody was like, yay! Mm-hmm. I think he's just racist. I just, I just think he's just a racist. You don't like anyone, but like... Everybody. <laughs> it's I was just trying to gauge that. I was tr- actually trying to gauge that because when he came... Well, cause, so, because Seven disobeyed his orders and actually brought them to the coordinates where they needed to go. And he and just everybody said, listened to seven. Everybody listened to seven. But also now, seven's a commanding officer. That's the thing, right? Seven is also the, you know, they have to take orders from her. Yeah. So But if he's that much of a jerk to Seven and to Riker and to Picard, he's probably a jerk to everyone on his crew. So right. they probably were happy to do it. That's the thing. Like that was making me wonder, like, how did the crew view him? I mean, first of all, I mean, because here's the thing, right? Even though they have to follow Seven's orders, they don't they don't technically have to. They can say, like, you know, I don't agree with this or something like that and whatever. You're not the captain. But they still did it anyway. So I think that's also very telling because if if no one was willing to not do it because they felt more loyalty to the captain, that kind of maybe speaks volumes on how the rest of the crew feels about him 
or maybe nobody cares at all and they just did it and just didn't think twice about it. Um, he's definitely going to be back this season. He seems to have some kind of redemption arc, as I've been told. I'm, I, I won't say... I think that's spoiler territory. Say that. Um, no, I'm saying he seems to... I think he's going... I, I, like, I think he's going to, by the end of it, I don't think he's going to be a jerk the entire season. I think by the time we get to the end of the season, maybe he'll have come around and look at them differently. I'm kind of surprised we're even going to see him again. Yeah, he's credited for a few episodes. I don't know. I don't know how uh, prevalent in the season he's going to be, but right. Um, but also, there's also the question of what happens after the season ends. What happens after the series ends? I think because Seven is now in Starfleet. So I don't know for how long. Right. Well, I think the feeling is that the series may continue with her in the lead. And is it as captain? Is it There is one thing we know about Starfleet is that you can break all the rules you want, but if it winds up turning out okay in the end, then right. nobody cares. That's what longer Absolutely. Happens. I mean, yeah. So um, well, actually, so along those lines, there's something interesting. I want to ask Julia, as someone who has just met Seven and almost done with Voyager, what did you think about, this is mostly where you've, I don't know that you watched much of the other Picard season. What, um, oh yeah, you're still experiencing Seven, and now you're seeing her, yeah, so I'm, actually, that, that's a good observation, I'm curious about this. Yeah, so what did you think about the new Seven? Yeah. The, or the I mean, later? I don't, I don't remember her from past season because I haven't really watched it that closely. I was more of a bystander. So and she hasn't appeared that much mm-hmm. here yet. Yeah. But she's definitely very similar in many ways, at least in a professional attire. Mm-hmm. Uh definitely more human than yep. she was before. Mm. Yeah, her um, speech it's less rigid than what I find the way interesting. I didn't even think right. of this. What I find interesting is that you know you're watching Voyager as you're watching this, so you're you're kind of seeing two sevens at the same time, and that's really hmm, that's very astute. I didn't even think of that. I mean, I'm hoping that what you're seeing of seven on this show isn't kind of affecting the way you're seeing her on Voyager. I mean, it certainly doesn't. Obviously, you know, well, Seven, of course, doesn't die at the end of Voyager because here she is. But that's kind of it, right? I mean, I don't think it really... I don't know if you... I, I wonder if your perception of her has changed in any way after seeing her in Picard. I mean, it's... I've seen too little of her mm. to actually form an opinion. Mm. As I said, I know that she was really involved with action in the past season. Mm. So I think that I would be a better judge by rewatching the past season. Yeah. But mm-hmm. she's definitely, as I said, more human, less uh less porg in her ways. Right. And that's and it seems Yeah. It, it also seems like she's way less connected to being a Borg. You know how it was like gimmick? So almost in uh, Voyager that she was like whenever they, they had like a plot a, a a plot hole. Uh, oh, but actually, she's she she has this special Borg thing mm. that we never talked about, but now we can use. 
Mm. Um, every time they get near Borg, she suddenly starts acting strange. Yeah. Well, it was like, like I don't know, there was this one episode where they have to send back in time uh, this information. And, uh, Timeless, I think, is what you're referring to. And, and it was like, oh, yeah, uh, we can use... Uh, they, they go and they find uh, Seven's corpse to get the implant uh, because they they have to use this message to save Voyager mm-hmm. from this massive incident. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we never talked about the fact that Borg can travel in time right. this way. Like it's like they can communicate across time. That that was that was far fetched. And in general, there are many random things that what I are find, excused. What I find Borg. troubling in some ways about Seven's use in Picard in in past seasons, that is particularly last season, is that when the Borg have shown up. And on Voyager, Seven almost Seven kind of springs into action, and she'll say she'll know exactly what to do. You know, she'll be like, you know, aim your weapon, you know, concentrate firing on this location or something. Like she'll like she'll uncover some kind of vulnerability because she was a Borg, so she kind of guides the crew onto what to do in order to get out of the situation safely. That is not present in like last season of Bakai when she's dealing with the Borg Queen. Right, she's she's like almost just as scared and confused as everybody else is, and she's not used her knowledge of the Borg are not used to help to help in any way, and I found that to be particularly frustrating because it just doesn't feel like she's she's not being used in the same way she was on Voyager as it pertains to uh, the Borg and the threat that they pose. Yet another frustration from last season. Right. I'm not. I must say though, and a little bit they could have. They could have played very differently in a smarter way by playing on uh, Borg's adapt mm-hmm. uh, in a way where, like, you know, Borgs haven't been around for whatever twenty years, and uh, now she doesn't know Borg because right. Borg is completely diff- like it's a different society, right? Oh, and yeah. that 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 should have been like oh no now her whole thing which is being Borg and coming yeah. back from Borg is useless because now it's a different society it's a different right. thing. Assimilated more more species since then it changed. That would have been good. It's one of those another situation where one line of dialogue could have fixed something, but they didn't right. do it. Um, yeah, I, I had this thought recently. I don't know if this is worth our time, but. You know how we never quite knew how Picard knew Seven in season one of Picard? Yeah. I, I've, I've sort of have come up with a reason in my head that I really like. So Voyager gets back, and there's a small faction that wants to put Seven on trial for the crimes of the Borg, and Picard defends her in the trial because, you know, he was a Borg and he's defended uh, Data. Hmm. So that's how they get close. I think that would be a great... Measure of a man situation. Measure, measure of, of a, a drone. Measure of a drone. Measure of a seven. Yeah. Ta-da. Yeah. Um, 
yeah yeah you you i'm you this theory you were spinning back then i was like there was you were treating it like uh like an aa thing like it's just yes i thought they're gonna have former borg like recovery meetings i think that would have been brilliant well the thing is sure but there aren't they're the only two recovered borgs that we know of so there aren't that many it'd just be two of them that other dude too that other dude you know the nice guy who he showed up in season one of picard for a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah. Was, well, that was. I mean, that was. Oh, that's true. That's true. Um, well, even more reason they know each other. They'd be in every meeting together because it was only that. But yeah. But. Um, yeah, but back to the original thing. I mean, I I think I like Captain. I'm. I don't really have any thoughts on Captain Shaw. I mean, it's just he's very black and white right now. If there are more layers to be ex- to be exposed or gone into then okay i've not seen enough of him. like what we've seen of him was enough for me to form an opinion on him you know i know who this guy is i know what kind of character this guy i know what kind of captain this guy is I'm, i was basically told everything i needed to know about him in the in in his scenes um am i to infer that he may be a potential foil to the situation i i don't I don't know that I don't, I don't know. Either. I mean, I don't see how he could be. Yeah. They were out where they're supposed to be now. Well, Unless he, he won a full um, report from seven on everything that took place. Right. But do you think Seven's going to give it up after they told her that they said no Starfleet involved? I well, here's seven. my thing. Here's Four my thing. All right. We're talking about member berries again. All right. Now I said to you before that this movie, this uh, Jesus Christ, this movie, this show is evoking a lot of Star Trek two, Star Trek three, feels in in every way possible if you remember now let's i'm just gonna say this hypothetically let's say seven does give him an accurate report right so he goes back and he tells starfleet what's going on and then starfleet goes looking for picard and riker Mm -hmm. you now have a similar situation like in star trek 3 when they steal the enterprise and now they're sort of considered outlaws i mean they weren't being like pursued by the federation but they're right. now sort of like the outlaws, right? And they are technically outlaws. I mean, they stole a shuttle. Right. They so, diverted a, a starship. So... On false pretenses, they said they were on, a, on an inspection for right. whatever, like Starfleet now, Day, it's called. And, and by the way, that's, that's almost like when Kirk... That in itself is almost like when Kirk stole the Enterprise, right? In Star Trek Three. So that, that, would, that would not surprise me. And like I said... The revealing of Beverly's son is just like David in Wrath of Khan. Um, Laforge's daughter, it's like Sulu's daughter in, in uh, Generation. So they're lifting these sort of similar ideas. So that would not, I would not be surprised if that is also the case. Um, like I said, I don't feel like anything is off the table right now. It's just, it's the trend, as Julia said. So it's like, it makes sense to me. Not only does it fit, it makes sense in the storyline, but it also just it also fits the trend that we're seeing in other media. So, but maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't think we can predict anything here. One thing we haven't spoken of, of yet that I want to get to is the B story, Rafi's story. Oh, okay. <laughs> so. As I said at the top of the show, that Rafi's story is she's trying to get information on 
some technology that was stolen from the Daystrom Institute that could potentially be used as a weapon. This technology that, when demonstrated, is basically what Doctor Strange does. Also, like as Julia pointed out, it was like Portal. Yes, I, I had the same the Portal too. Yeah. I had the same thought too. So now this is going on in tandem. Now, when we first see Raffi on the planet Mtalus, hmm, very cheeky Terry. Um, she has the appearance of somebody who has been kicked out of Starfleet. She's back doing drugs. Now, I sort of knew right off the top of my head, I'm like, she, she's just faking. It's, it's, there's no way. And Because if that had actually been the case, I would have been very disappointed that she went back to that. Yeah, me too. So we find out she's working for Starfleet Intelligence. Yeah. And she's trying to get information on the Red Lady. Mm-hmm. Oh, which, yeah. Which we find out is just a statue. The yeah, statue of... We find out that Google got real weird in the future. Right. Yes. Now, the statue, by the way, if, in case you didn't notice, was Captain Rachel Garrett of the Enterprise C. This is the member berry for you from yesterday's Enterprise. Okay. Now, let me ask, but now, let me ask you both this. Now, Raffi is... Cause she I don't gets, think Julia knows who Raffi is. What? I don't think Julia knows who Raffi is, even. I mean, I know that she's a lady that joins Picard and right. builds stuff. I mean, you watched the episode. It was the other storyline that was going on. No, no, yeah, no. She doesn't have any of the background that they worked together and she was his other number one after Riker or anything. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, you just told I, I have, I have a, I have an understanding. I don't know their, the intimate detail of their relationship and adventures, but I know that she was part of the, the crew. I didn't find that this B story particularly worked for me. Because it felt like, you know, it only, she only had a couple, and maybe it's because it was like the limited screen time or something like that, but she's trying to get information on who stole this weapon. She gets, she gets some intel that there's going to be like a terrorist attack someplace from a mysterious handler who was only talking to her in text, so we don't know who that person is, although I have theories, but we don't know who it is. And then she manages to find a location as to where this attack may take place. And it does take place. And it's an attack on the Starfleet recruitment building. And I just kind of felt like, I mean, it's a big, it's supposed to be a big deal in the episode. And yet for some reason, it, it, the episode didn't make me feel like that moment was as big an event as it should have yeah. been. They didn't it, we see any reaction to it. Right. It, though yeah. it just seemed like it, it was very strange. Like, and I was even thinking like this was supposed to be a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, like is that was that where all these Starfleet Day? Well, I forget what they called it. Frontier Day. Right? Frontier Day. Is that where Frontier Day was all happening, or was that a recruitment? I think she's just talking about it being a recruitment. Yeah, station. I, don't, I don't believe that was on Earth, so I don't think that was. Yeah. Yeah, I think they called it a recruitment station. Yeah, but yes, because we didn't see any reaction, it felt we don't know what to make of it. I feel. I mean, no matter what, like even if it's just like a a building with just people working in it. Right. Like, that was massive infrastructure damage and a lot of lives taken. Right. Then it was yeah, it was part of the city. Yeah. So. It, it was it it was very oh, I should feel something about this. I think it's because it didn't feel like it didn't feel like it, the episode was it didn't feel like that story was properly building to that moment. Like I didn't feel the kind of like 
Yeah. The impending doom that something might happen. Yeah, you know what's funny? It's the episode gave more gravity to Beverly right. being put on life support than it did for probably like right. hundreds of thousands of people dying. Right. Like we, we didn't see a single person screaming, running for their life or dying. Right. It just felt it didn't it, it felt like a it I don't felt, know like a, Ro- a Roblox. It felt very hollow because because I think at the same time this was not a you use the word roadblock. This was not a roadblock to, in any at least <laughs> at this point in any way related to what was the events of the A story. Like they were just they were happening total in totally two different places. And obviously, I think I think it was sort of overshadowed by this next generation sort of reunion idea that you were so focused over there that you Mm -hmm. weren't there was not a lot of emphasis or care placed by the viewer on that story and i felt like this is obviously going to be very important to the season's storyline and yet i'm not feeling i I don't feel the urgency i agree i'm sure next week next week we'll see some of the fallout and it will make more sense i i hope yeah but yeah, as it is now, it didn't. It barely made a ripple. Yeah, I don't even know. Was it needed? In the, yeah, just, they, they definitely should have told us more explicitly where it was. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on? Oh, sorry. Sorry, I was like, no. it, it, I feel like they misplaced it as an event. It should have been a season, like a episode two thing. Right. Like where actually they build it up more, yeah. or an opening scene, right? Where like you don't know what the hell is happening, right? And that would have been like, oh my god! And then you can talk about the rest, and maybe they all know, like even Picard and Riker know about this, and they, you know, chat about it, and there is this over overbearing sense of Mm. everything is going to shit. Right. Yeah. I think it was also because Riker and Picard, like, they know nothing, and the other characters in the A-story, they know nothing of this event taking place. Like, nobody knew about it at all. It was strictly, it was a Raffi solo story. And... Once the terrorist attack happened, it should have been, everyone should have known. I've I've no doubt that like maybe in the next episode it would not surprise me if in the next episode they begin to learn of it, um, but at this point, and I can't really say it's a it's a frustration. I can't really say good or bad. It's not clear to me yet if this is even how this is related, and that's obviously what the episode is supposed to be doing, right? You have these two stories happening at the same time. And it's giving me no indication of what that relationship is yet to the other story that's going on. So it's it's a very much a kind of just, I guess, wait and see right now. I can't... That's what I was saying. Like, when the episode ended, I, I it didn't give me a lot to go on. I mean, I have theories on things, but they're not things that are like... They're on small things. It doesn't, there's nothing, again, the biggest theory that I have is really about who is Beverly's son. I mean, other than that, there's nothing else for me to really speculate on because there isn't, as I said, there's not enough meat on that bone yet. 
thought about the sun as a mystery worth thinking about, but I guess it is. Right. Right. I just thought she had a kid after she left. And I'll tell you, in the old world of this podcast, I, it's very possible what I just said, I would have viewed that as a negative and said, you know, what the hell is, but it's like, I, I have to, I have to abstain because the show is not providing me enough information yet. Yes. We, we don't want to spend time wishing the show was something that it wasn't. Right. Because one of the things that we did and one of the things that I even saw a lot of reviews do on the back half of discovery in season four, one of the biggest, the most common complaints I saw was how they were dragging this out. Right. Annoying. They're not giving us any answers. They're just dragging this out. Right. Now, if you watch all those episodes in succession, you're not going to have that same. You may, I mean, maybe you will. I don't know. But I you think know. you'd still get annoyed with that doctor guy still showing up. Right. All the time. You think he's gone and but he's back. It's like we only have an hour with this crew every week and you're not, you're just inching this along. Right. So. Yeah. It reminds me of my students who like don't have the think enough about something to write an essay about it so they're just kind of right filling it out with a bunch of nothing and and look i view that as a negative and and while i think it's a fair criticism i don't think it's the best way for me or us to critique it because once you that's a moment in time if if we were to review the entire season as a whole and just watch every episode in succession for the first time those certain criticisms may, may not exist, at least not to that to that level. So, I think for a healthier podcast, it's that we watch the first episode and we just sort of wait and see what goes on, and then we return to because by the time we get to episode six, and by all accounts, I don't know if this is true or not, that episode six is a bit of a turning point in the season. We'll obviously know a lot more by then. So that's sort of our that's that's our milestone. That's our next milestone to come back and sort of review what we have seen up to that point. And I think it will I think it will make for better review as well. Better discussion. It just means we have to have copious notes. Hmm. I think for episode one, we should just talk about the wackiest ideas. They could bring back. Because <laughs> I want to laugh. So I want, as I said, um, conspiracy. Mm-hmm. I want Sabrosa oh back. Oh my god. I want Sabrosa so bad. You want the worst episodes to come back. I want the worst episodes to come back. and make. So them, where's Code of Honor like, in, all, in that? No, that's too <laughs> bad. <laughs> You know, that's unacceptable. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And then, like, just tie it more with um, with DS9 and Voyager. Because it, it bothered me how they brought back Seven of Nine. Yeah. Isolated and connected her to Picard when, sure, like, you, you have to, like, go on a limb and say there is... AA for Borg. <laughs> uh, but I really think they should bring more characters it's back funny, if they want to. It's funny you mention that, Joel, because at one point I had been reading an interview with Terry Metalis, who, again, the showrunner and writer of the episode. So we know going into the season 
that it's meant to be a kind of final send-off, a proper final send-off for the next-gen cast. But he also suggested that it's also meant to be sort of like a closing of the book on this kind of era of Trek. So that includes Deep Space Nine and Voyager. I don't know if it means that we're going to see those casts come back, but I think we're certainly going to get some kind of tie-in with those with those shows as well because because they take place in succession with the next generation so i'd be curious what that is um it would not surprise me if we did see admiral janeway at some point and the reason i say that is because you know seven talks about how janeway went to bat for her to join starfleet right so I could see in some way, depending on where Seven's storyline goes this season, if Admiral Janeway makes an appearance. Mm. I believe that's the first time she's been mentioned in the new live action. Like, right. uh, she was mentioned last season, too, on Picard. Yeah. But in, the same, but in the same capacity, in the same way. I don't know how you tie in Deep Space Nine. I mean, maybe... I do believe again, truly yeah. saving it. I think they're saving New Space Nine to do something with. I know you've continually said that over the years. If they're smart, they, I'll put it this way. If they're smart, they are. Well, right now, Worf is the most direct link to Deep Space Nine because he did join that show. Um, but there's also the chance that, like, oh, well, does Chief O'Brien show up somehow? I mean, so. My goodness. Yeah. Bring back O'Brien and do something terrible to him. So I'm just gonna say I'm just gonna plant the seed, Vigil, with O'Brien. You need to watch Lower Decks. Oh uh, yeah, at some point. Yes, yeah. I I will. Yeah. I promise I will. So I, I haven't made this one prediction yet that I, I mentioned to I think both of you mm. that um, the opening scene where we have Picard putting away all of his uh, trinkets, yep. and talking to his girlfriend. Um, I believe that Picard will be dead by the end of the season. And I, and I think that that whole talk of like, there's, it just seems like everything from a movie where like, there's this bar, you know, and you can see the beautiful sunset. It just reminds me of so many movies where the person never makes it to that. Well, you know what else too? It's when I think about him giving his things away, that to me can be kind of a, an indication that maybe, you know, and, and just to get a little personal for a second, my own grandmother did that before we even knew she was going. I, I, you know, I've always had this since she passed away, like a long time ago, about a year before she passed away. Like she was beginning to give things away, and it's almost as if she knew that she didn't have much time left. And I've always wondered, like, and and I've heard people of people doing that as well. I've heard of other people doing things like that. So I do wonder if like that's. Mm. what we're dealing with here because i mean that painting he was giving and that that painting is iconic yes oh that reminds me so you always talk about jordy so what do you how are you how are you feeling huh as someone who has worked in museums before and you know a history major um i think it's kind of cool that he's running a museum but also that seems like a waste of jordy's talents to run a museum no but you you had always said that you always like to make. You always like to shit on Jordy's lack of romance, but now he now well, he. No, I. Oh, Cole, please. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't shit on it. I've said those are my favorite episodes. Yeah. 
No, I, I love watching on him. I, I, no, no, I think you were. I, I always he, thought you were like kind of making fun of him, but whatever. no, no, no. I love watching his his love life because it's very relatable, right? Because everyone struggles. Or, well, so, okay. So, how do you feel I about have, this now? How, I got my wife that you all met you two tonight. How do you feel about this now? I mean, I I want to see more, but it seems like a waste of his talents every morning we see him. But what about the fact so that he has kids? Now? Oh, that's great! He met somebody. That's super. Yeah. But I also. Part of me thinks he might have run the museum because he wanted to make an interactive exhibit of that uh, of the, um, the the enterprise designer that he's in love with. Yep. He probably is just in that museum working late all the time, spending time with her. Well, so for that. and she's a real person too. Like she was still because he, he actually did meet her, the real one, and she was a bitch to him. Yeah. I'm yes. wondering if he if they actually got married. She was supposed to actually, oddly enough, in an early draft of the Nemesis script. She was supposed to be at Riker and Troy's wedding. Like that whole wedding scene was also supposed to be like a symphony of next gen guest character, guest actors, guest characters. And it's like, yeah. So, and again, member berries trending, all that stuff. That would not surprise me either. So, I, when it, as it pertains to all this nostalgia, I can't say no. I don't think they'll do that. Of course they will. It, w- it would not surprise me if they do. Yeah, and it would make sense at a fleet museum to have some exhibit about her. Right. She seems like a pretty pivotal part so, of the fleet. History. I think coming. I think coming back, coming full circle. All right. So I, I think I can't. I don't know if I really want to rate the episode. I just felt like we didn't learn too much. Events are just getting started. My biggest criticism of it is the constant nostalgia the non-stop member berries just all of that stuff whether they're related or not now they don't affect how good or bad the story is but they when i first watched the episode it was really irritating me because they would it was just they were everywhere i mean the music and just you know great music but like it was just they play that they played the the star trek theme in the episode more than they actually did in the in the films and in the shows i mean it was like it was constant like Picard walks into a room and the theme plays. I'm just like, what are you? <laughs> what what is going on? So I, I think they just need to. My hope is, as the season progresses, they really kind of dial back this nostalgia. The season, in and of itself, is one gigantic member berry. The entire its entire existence is a member berry. So I don't need constant non sequitur reminders of things. That's my. You know, that's my TED talk there. Yeah, it, it seems like lazy writing. Yeah. Although, nostalgia, nostalgia, how dare they change the voice of the computer? Well, yeah. my understanding is that Rod Roddenberry, the son of Major Roddenberry, who was the voice of the computer, like he, a passion project of his is AIing her voice. Yeah. yeah. Like, why did they change it? It's stupid. Uh-huh. Here's another thing, right? Why does Picard, because when I first heard the other voice, I thought, oh, maybe Picard, he's not Starfleet anymore. He, that's like a, you know, that's a consumer model of a right. AI. Why does he have the Starfleet AI in his house? Or the Starfleet computer in his house? It's the same voice. It didn't, didn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, it's like in ways. Where yeah. you can change the voice and put the Easter egg voices in special periods of time. That's true. Like you can change your um, your GPS to sound like 
whatever Kermit the Frog. Well, we had, I remember like way back in the in the in the uh, episode two of season two of Discovery, Pike is in the ready is in his ready room and the door chime. It was exactly it was Voyager's door chime. It was the exact same. You know, so everyone's like, oh, you can just I guess you can just change the door chime to change the tone like a ringtone. Mm. So it's it's just it's those things. It's it's the uh, I don't need the constant nostalgia and i and look i know it's fashionable all these other it, it's not it's not star trek's fault like all these other franchises are doing it too so it, i can't fully blame trek for it they just they were in my line of fire at the time when i'm just like oh my god please people you know and i was telling you the i was i was wondering the other day i was saying this to you the other day like it's like i was like i was saying i'm wondering if this is one of the earliest instances of a franchise making references like that because they were doing this as far back as like the 90s right i obviously deferred to you because i'm like i'm sure comics were doing that before as well. comics were, but it was also a very different thing but now everybody's doing it right everybody's doing some kind of i mean this new fucking night court's doing it for god's sakes i mean the constant reminders of all of all the old things it's like yeah we know but again your very existence is a reminder of, of that. I don't mm. need more of it. Mm. So I don't need I don't need Star Trek Picard to remind me that I am in the Star Trek universe. I know that I am. I, I get Are it. You the... Got it. Are you sure you know? Yeah. Are you sure? The, the, <laughs> the last thing I will say, and I just want to get this on record. When we saw it's like when we saw Rogue One and you saw the two uh, the Cantina aliens like there for no reason. Yes, and, the just like, and I remember saying this to my friend Tom, who's a big Star, Star Wars fan, and we were—he was like, he didn't like that movie, and I was just sort of like, oh, yeah, that was funny when they brought the, when they kind of referenced that. I said that kind of Easter egg right there—that's a very Star Trek type of Easter egg that I wasn't that I would not have expected Star Wars to do, and I don't mean that negatively, but I said the, that kind of a reference. I've always known Trek to do it that way. I've never seen anybody else really do it that way. Yeah, I thought it was very uh, distasteful. <laughs> I have an idea that just your mouth came is to wide mind. open. They should bring back the 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 puffies. The puffies. Yeah, the puffy aliens. The little ball of fur. The tribbles. Yes, thank you. The tribbles are the are are the weapon. Oh boy. <laughs> The Tribbles are the cause of this whole thing? Yes. That should be it. It would certainly be the trouble with Tribbles. The, 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 they should I would be laugh involved. like hell if that was if that was if that was the case. Alright. Well, I think that's enough on this episode. We've certainly droned on, no pun intended, about it. Um well, let me just end it with this. I know I well, kind of gave my concluding thoughts, but... Don't forget, we have a new section. We, right. Really quickly, like, give me your final thoughts on the episode, each one of you. Julia, you first. It was a bit wacky. Hmm. And not really... Um, disjointed? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. It was a bit... Walk in this jointed. Is that the word you were looking for? Because I was guessing. Because <laughs> I was basically yeah, hand motion. Yeah. My hands. Yeah. I speak with my hands, which is not good for a podcast. Um, but yeah, disjointed, but enjoyable. Hmm. 
uh, I am looking forward to watching it next week and so on, but I'm also very glad that we're not podcasting about each episode. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to watching it and enjoying it, but not having to try to dissect it and analyze it because I don't think it's that kind of show. Right. I think we've, I think this episode that we're doing now is a good indication of like, is it, it's very much a wait and so let's just wait and see. And, you know, we're holding back a lot of things because we, I certainly don't want to sit here and whine the entire episode and I'm sure neither one of you does either. And it just yeah, doesn't make for good listening. So it's just sort the of like, let's just see where this takes us. Reviewers have said that episode six is like a big shift in the show. So right. Which is when we'll, we'll which, come back. After which is when we will come back. So yeah. sorry, everybody, you're going to have to deal with not with us not being around for uh, five weeks. But obviously, when we do Strange New Worlds, you know, we're back to episode. Lower deck. Yeah. We're back. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, I, I, I actually think that maybe in this time, I know I've mentioned this in the past. Uh, so the first season of Prodigy has wrapped up. I need to catch up on it. So I think it may be a good ch- opportunity for us to maybe dive into that show at some point. We still have to do that somewhat, some, at some time. I th- and I, I truly think you both will really enjoy that show. It is a wonderful, wonderful show. So, um, all right. New section. Do you have something for the new section? I, I have something. Okay. It's a tangential, tangent. I can never say this word. Tangentially. So, um, <laughs> I'm sorry, Julie. I wouldn't expect you to have something for this unless you do. Oh, I have one too. I let her know ahead of time. Oh, yeah. awesome. Fantastic. All right. So, we're introducing a new section. And for lack of a creative title, I'm just calling it Today I Learned, which is basically, you know, between all of us, we we know a fair amount about the, the Trek universe, right? And just, you know, the stuff within the universe, behind the scenes stuff, all that stuff, various bits of trivia. We obviously don't know everything. So we decided to kind of really get into this and try to look for stuff that we didn't that we didn't know about. Thing, you know, and that can be something whether that's a fact in the universe itself, or just or just some bit of behind the scenes trivia that we may not have realized. So, I have one now. I, I will confess, I I knew about it at one point, but then I totally forgot about it, and then I was reading more up on it. So, so um. Why don't I kind of start this off, right? So I found out... Now, again, I, I knew about this, I think, at one point, but I completely forgot about it. And even then, I didn't really know much about it. But apparently, um, in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, there's an entire section of the film, and not really a section or a subplot, but there's, an, there's a whole sort of like part of the film that was done and doesn't even exist. It is established in two scenes in the film that Khan actually has a child. And we see, and there are scenes with this. I think there are only two scenes in the film that were done with this. We only see him, we only see it twice. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a boy. 
we see him once and photos of it exist in like publicity photos we see a child which is and it's to infer that khan and lieutenant macgyver's from spacey you know had a child together so when when right i almost said Riker picard when Chekhov and Captain Terrell beam down to SETI Alpha 5 and they come upon Khan's, the remains of Khan's shelter, one of the first things they see is a child looking out the window, staring at them. Ooh. And we don't see the child again until just before the Reliant explodes. So, you know, that they show that um, there's that shot of the Genesis device on the transporter pad about to detonate. There was there is a scene of the child crawling towards it, and I guess reaching out for it right before the thing blows up. So, it was not an integral part of the movie, but they ultimately decided to take it out because the director Nicholas Maya thought that's eh, not really in good taste to kind of show <laughs> the last thing we see is a child about to, you know, be exploded on this ship. So. Mm. I don't know that it truly affects how the movie would play, but I just kind of thought that was, I thought that was a little interesting and I kind of wanted to know more about it. There isn't really that much more to know about it. I know that's a very strange thing is it wasn't as if it was a subplot. It was just kind of like, yeah, he had a kid and the kid was in the background and then the kid died. Right. Which meant it was really like, weird. it was easy to remove because it was very inconsequential. Yeah. But yeah. I've seen photos of it and it's very, it's very, very strange. It's, it's like, mm. it's very odd. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so here's mine that I know yours was not going to overlap. So this is, um, you know, my, my, I really love politics, political history. I am a history teacher. So yeah. in 1996, right? So first, Kevin, you give us a little context. What was the state of Star Trek in 1996? It was the 30th anniversary. And, okay. um, I would say Star Trek was arguably, I think, at its peak in popularity yeah. at that time. Okay, so 1996, there's this little trial called Whitewater. Mm-hmm. Now, this was about uh, a real estate uh, kind of scam or corruption deal that Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton allegedly were involved in. And so someone was put on trial for it. And this trial was happening. And like any trial, they choose jurors. Okay? Yep. So one of the jurors that they chose showed up to this huge, high-profile trial every day wearing a next generation uniform with uh, a phaser and a tricorder. And it became this sensation in the news of like, what is up with juror number seven? Why are they wearing Star Trek, the next generation uniform? And um, so that was just, um, that was my today I learned. Because I had known about this at the time. Yeah. I forgot about it. But, you know, they were the butt of all the jokes on late night and whatnot. But in a way, looking back, it's like, what are the best values of Starfleet but, like, justice and truth? And so it was really a brilliant thing to wear to a uh, <laughs> to be a juror. He was cosplay. He was just, you know, he wanted to do measure of a man type shit. I get him. <laughs> I wonder if that episode of the woman. I think it was a woman. I wonder if that episode of Thirty Rock where Liz Lemon wears um, Princess Leia costume when she's a juror trying to get off jury duty because she's insane and she thinks she's a hologram um, is inspired by this story. Mm. Oh, so let me give credit. So the person named Barbara Adams. Okay. Yep. 
I'm I'm chuckling because uh, do you recall in season one of Picard there was that lady you were calling Barbara? <laughs> yes. Yeah, the crazy, the crazy Romulan former ex <laughs> board drone who was calling um, the destroyer and you're like what's that lady's name Barbara I'm like she's a yeah a Romulan <laughs> Barbara <laughs> I remember saying to you like well she looks like one mm-hmm. and we were I, we were laughing pretty hard. we were laughing in the middle of the recording too and yeah, I think that's in the episode yeah it was really funny alright Joe, what did you learn so I recently learned that uh, Mulgrave on the set of Voyager lost their shit when Seven of Nine was introduced because she worked so hard to be a professional, um, valuable captain that is absolutely not sexualized, and then she saw this sex doll brought in and hypersexualized to the point that she couldn't she would pass out on set because they were giving her too tight corsets mm-hmm. and she lost her shit and she was a dick to the actress on set until she solved her inner demons yeah I mean it's it's pretty well documented that Kate Mulgrew did not appreciate Jerry Ryan being there um and you know jerry ryan i've seen talk about it at various convention panels like how it just was not easy at that time to work with kate and yeah i mean for those reasons that you outline uh, i think the two of them have certainly patched it up since then but uh yeah because all attention was on kate i mean she, she was the first woman captain trek and it was a big deal and then suddenly here comes this other one who now all the attention is on her. So yeah. And and in general, like I think that it was a really weird way to introduce a new character. Because mm-hmm. it really felt like, oh wait, we don't have anyone sexy enough on this show. Splarch. I'm I'm old enough to remember those days when Seven when Jerry Ryan joined the show. And I mean, it was a big deal. There was a lot of like news coverage of it. Um, you know, she was on the cover of TV Guide very often when TV Guide was still a magazine. I don't know if it still is. Is it? I have no idea. But it is. But it's like a it's like a magazine now. It's like an actual it's magazine right now. TV Guide anymore. But I, I mean, yeah, I remember that time very. I mean, I had a I had a seven of nine T shirt back then. I mean, it was a. <laughs> It's a big deal. And then I think the thing I think is very interesting is then when Enterprise comes and you see like, oh, okay, they because they have um, Jolene Blaylock and it's like, oh, they're trying to repeat the. Well, she was she more or less was wearing like the same type of outfit, right? And probably had like similar. Yeah. They figure. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So clearly they they found something that worked and they stuck with it. So, I know we always do the continuity corner or the Easter egg corner, whatever the mm-hmm. fuck we call it. Um, now, obviously, a lot. <laughs> there's too many to name. So, what all I did was just 
pick out a few that stood out to me. Um, but so you'll appreciate this one. So Frontier Day, right? Which is the event that's going on in the background. So it's pretty much established that this episode takes place towards the end of the year 2401. So we're in the 25th century. That puts us, and maybe this is what Frontier Day is. I don't know. Um, Because Frontier Day is a new thing. I've never heard of this before. But it puts us at the 250th anniversary of the first season of Enterprise. The launch of the NX-01. So I'm wondering if that's yeah. if that's related somehow. You can commemorate it. That'd be cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah. The we'll finally get Julian Blaylock in this uh, in this one. I know you really want her on the show, dude. I, I think I think the Strange New Worlds or Lower Decks are our best bet to have a, to have a seat to Paul again. Yeah. Um, so. These are kind of small things. So, the when Rafi is is talking to is like doing her Google search. You know, we see some flashes of various things on on the screen. We see an image of the USS Voyager B. So <laughs> when Voyager comes back from the Delta Quadrant, it's decommissioned. So since then, there has been a Voyager A, and now there's a Voyager B. I also noticed that there was a graphic for the USS Enterprise F, which with some text on there that says slated for early decommission. Now, I know that we do see the Enterprise F in this season. We've seen it in the trailers because it has the same design as the Enterprise from Star Trek Online. It's a uh, it's a uh, Odyssey class, I believe. So I'm wondering. Is the season going to culminate like in the launch of the Enterprise G or something? So I just want, I just wonder about that. Um, I mentioned this earlier. The Red Lady is a statue of Rachel Garrett, who is the commanding officer of the Enterprise C. And we also see that the USS Enterprise A, which was the ship that Kirk commanded in four, five, and six, the it's shown briefly in a registry of ships at the Fleet Museum. So. It's now established that the Enterprise A at the end of six went into the Fleet Museum, which I think is kind of cool. So, um, again, you know, the entire episode is just one gigantic Easter egg anyway. So I'm certainly not going to go down the list of everything. Like I said, it's just we're at the point now where there's so much of it. I'm just going to pick highlights from now on. So things that stood out to me. So. Um, I think, but I think, you know, one of the biggest Easter eggs is that it definitely felt like one of the films. It certainly felt like one of, you know, and it was taking a lot of beats and a lot of inspiration from existing Trek movies. So, um, did you both get that feeling of this episode? I mean, do you, did you feel like you were watching the beginning of a next gen film? Totally. Yeah. Especially, yeah, the, the, yeah, very much a film. As I said, yeah, feels like a film, not a film to show. To me, it feels very weird because it's like it's next gen, but with the through the lens of J.J. Abrams movie. Yep. So I felt like in first contact, 
when there are like action scenes with Picard, I felt like there is, and I think that's also for me like the disjointed feeling of like they're trying to be, uh, you know, brainiacs, but also there is too much action that the people are involved in to actually be really a retired admiral. Yeah. <laughs> I think what I find strange too, and this is like the last thing I'll say, I always find it odd, like, because The Next Generation was a very thoughtful show. They didn't, there was not a lot of action. And I think when they did do action, particularly in the Next Gen movies, it always felt strange to me. Because th- that was, they weren't the set of characters that really, to me, felt like, they didn't feel like action heroes to me. And so when they did it in the movies and now in the show, it just, it feels odd. It feels very strange to me. It just feels out of place. I don't know if the two of you feel that way, but. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much how, how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's going to wrap it. So uh, I don't know the name of episode six. I don't know who wrote it. I don't know who directed it. Nothing. We don't know that yet. So I only know the name of next week's episode, which I'm not going to say. So we're not going to be back until episode six. So we've got five weeks. Mm -hmm. So I would say any predictions, but we don't really have anything to predict right now. So we're just kind of sitting down, strapped in and just awaiting you know we're just along for the ride to see where it takes us so um but i hope we get a good, i hope we get a good season i truly do unless anyone is interested in hearing my rants about the last season of voyager <laughs> i mean we can definitely do an episode where you yeah yeah Jenna, take over finale. yeah yeah all right well i think that's gonna do it so, welcome to the show, Julia. Thank you for letting us be a guest on your podcast. Yeah, this is very You're very welcome. Um, I, I, I know I am very democratic, so you're welcome. And if any of you would like to get in touch with us, you can follow us on Instagram at Podcast, and you can email us at InStartDegreeTrust at gmail.com. I, I logged into the email for the first time in a long time the other day, and I didn't see a single one. So... <laughs> You're not supposed to tell them that. You're supposed to say, you got to hurry up email quick. No, that's me, that's me, that's me wanting sympathy and hoping I'll get sympathy emails as a result. That's fair. Yeah, we want to hear, what do you do? What are you doing when you listen to our episodes? Can I tell you something? A lot of these other Star Trek podcasts got invited to the premiere. They got access to the first six episodes. And I'm like, you know, where's mine? And I was like checking our email. I'm like, hopefully I didn't miss an email. Did I miss an email? I think you offended LeVar Burton too much with your Geordi stuff. I'm Jordy's biggest fan. I, I I know, but I feel like you're being very cheeky about... No, I'm not cheeky, man. I grew up with uh, Raining Rainbow also. He really is a special place in my heart. Oh, come on. Jordy is the butt of the joke in dating notoriously. It's not but I love the episodes. I think they're really fun. Eh, I, anyway. LeVar Burton is a lovely man. I met him at a convention once. He was, he was, he was very nice to me. Very funny guy. My bad. Yeah. All right. Uh, later, screeners. All right, everybody. Bye. Bye.